Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What are the paranormal implications of the horrific events occurring in France and around the world? What's with semi-visible dachshunds? Who or where, who or what are the high people? No reference to hallucinogens intended. Hello, and welcome to the 613th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those wide-ranging questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening, we bring you an open-line show with some interesting questions from listeners, and uh, we welcome your calls. The numbers are 800-449-1240, that's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, and 401-766-1240 locally. And we will monitor emails, paul at behindtheparanormal.com for emails, and don't forget about our Facebook page. Now, every time something awful happens, such as, as happened in France on Friday, and bear in mind, these things happen in the Middle East all the time, but when they happen in a country that is traditionally stable and that we think of as Europe, I guess, which it certainly is, is, is uh, it really shakes people up, even though, as I say, it happens uh, too many places already, and we should be just as upset about that, too. However, the questions arise, what do I tell my children? And people write to us about that. I guess it must be the father-son thing as we kind of represent uh, the father-son thing, I suppose. So many people have written in, and I wanted to deal with this right off the bat. There's a wonderful quote. I put it on my personal Facebook page from Fred Rogers. And Fred Rogers was, uh, for those of my age and maybe a little younger, would remember uh, as the host of the wonderful children's show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He was not just a, uh, a show host with a very soothing voice and uh, nice things, uh, nice positive attitude. He was a well-known expert in child psychology. He was uh, uh, many things and was very interested in assisting children who, uh, in many ways, but also though, particularly those who were frightened. All right, And he said, and I'll give the whole quote at the end of the show, but he said, Words to the effect that when he was a little boy and was frightened by things in the news, his mother would tell him, look at all the people who are helping. And all while the news coverage was was airing on uh, just about every news station, certainly on Friday evening, you could you could see people helping some many people were frightened, but the medical people were there, the police were there, uh, the military was there and they were helping those who had suffered from this. And it just goes to show what I told Jonathan and Ben, Ben and his older brother Jonathan, when 9-11 occurred, because you remember that day, don't you? Very much so. Yeah. And I can't remember if it was you or your brother who asked, gee, Dad, are they going to come here? Oh, that was me. That was you? Yes, okay. yes, yes. John, John knew better. Than Meaning that. the terrorists. So he was a little <laughs> older. But it's a good question for a child, you know. And I, and I told you words to the effect, well, no, and, and my point was that there are far more good people in the world than there are people who want to hurt you. And I, mean, I put my arm around you when I said it. And um, yeah, we were honest. We, you know, we let you watch some of the coverage for, to a point. And uh, that's what we suggest is just let your children know they're loved and that there are far, far more good people in the world than there are people who would, would hurt them, than there are bad people. And we believe that about the multiverse, too. Uh, that there are far more, it's far more good out there than there is, than there is evil. Okay, so let's let's begin then with our communications. Now we didn't have time to get to any of the Facebook 
ones last week. Last week was a fun show. We had Shane Searway here, a very good friend uh, to help co-host, but uh, to sit in for Ben. But Ben showed up anyway, so we had a three-way panel discussion. It was a lot of fun. Can't keep a good Ben down. (laughs) That's right. So anyway, here's one from Mark in Manchester, England. Alrighty, so Mark writes to us. I cannot help but notice that these attacks in France took place on Friday the 13th. Is this a coincidence? Uh, what do you think? Well, I, that, that occurred to me, too. I actually it, didn't even know it was Friday the 13th. Well, it, it, was, it occurred to me because I said, somebody's going to ask about that. So sure enough, Mark and several other people did. But we'll let Mark represent about eight people who asked the same question. Well, the fear of Friday the 13th, or the fear of the number 13, is called Triskaidekaphobia. I bet you didn't know that, Ben. I vaguely knew it. Okay. Well, you are my son, after all. Anyway, that, uh, that fear comes from a number of things. The, the whole idea of numerology, sacred numbers, that's not one of them, and, that, and this kind of thing. I don't want to get into that right now. However, the um, Friday the 13th is, is known as the day in, and I cannot remember the year. I should have looked it up. When the, uh, the Pope it's believed, organized a European-wide series of attacks, if you will, uh, coordinated attacks, kind of like, I suppose, what happened in Paris, against the Knights Templar. There there were a lot of political uh, machinations involved there. There was some belief that the Knights Templar, which was an order of essentially warrior monks, uh, whose ostensible creation was to protect the, the roots that, European pilgrims would take to the Holy Land, people who were uh, on a holy journey to visit the holy sites in the, in the Middle East, in Jerusalem, etc. Uh, and they would, uh, that was often a dangerous trip, I suppose, in the way it is now, too. But there would be uh, thieves and all sorts of uh, dangers lurking along the, the road, wild animals, things of this kind. Much of the area was totally unsettled, and people often were hurt or killed uh, trying to make this, this journey from Europe to the Holy Land and back. So the Knights Templar supposedly were founded in order to uh, prevent these dangers or to minimize them to some degree. But there, there, there are other reasons why they were involved, and people have all kinds of uh, outlandish ideas, and some of which aren't that outlandish, I guess, about what the Knights Templar were really doing. But they did manage to accumulate enormous wealth. So that's probably the reason that a number of European uh, kings and uh, monarchs and uh, the, the Pope were uh, trying to wipe them out, and they, they pretty much did. So Friday the 13th of, um, I wish I could remember the year, I went blank, but anyway, it was very bad. It was like the uh, uh, 10th or 11th, no, it wasn't the 10th, that's too early, the, the, the 11th or 12th centuries, maybe the 13th, when the Knights Templar were um, uh, attacked in a coordinated series of, uh, of events in Europe. So um, whether that had anything to do with the date of this event, uh, terrorists tend to, cho- to change, uh, or I should say, to choose events uh, for the convenience and softness of the targets and the, uh, uh, whenever they can organize something when they think people, the most people will be harmed. Certainly on a Friday night uh, in Paris, a lot of people are going to be out as they were, uh, enjoying the evening, uh, going to concerts, and that's more likely the reason why that occurred, in my opinion, um, anyway, so I don't think that has, uh, any particular, uh, reason for that, uh, attack was having to do with Friday the 13th. Okay. So, um, our next, um, our next question is, uh, from Jerry, J-E-R-R-I in Marietta, Georgia. 
I think your multiverse ideas are very interesting, and I remember you talking about car keys disappearing as an example. Well, that happens to me all the time. I will put them down, and they will sometimes be on the other side of the table, and I did not move them, and I did not hear them move by themselves. Or sometimes they will be in a different part of the house, but it only seems to be the car keys. At first, I thought it was a ghost, but then your idea makes more sense. But why is it only the car keys? If there was a multiverse overlap, like you say, wouldn't the whole house be affected and me too? Well, that's kind of an interesting question, Jerry. Well, who's to say that it isn't? Yeah, well, but that's precisely what I was... You know me too well, Ben. That's precisely what I was going to suggest. That there are, in this entire idea about multi, multiple universes existing side by side in the fringe science, but nevertheless a science of quantum mechanics, there's an idea that the only difference between one world and another may be that your car keys are on the other side of the table. Everything else in the whole universe might be exactly the same. That's why we often give the illustration of, I have a uh, <clears throat> rather uh, expensive cell phone here. If I drop it on the floor and smash it to smithereens, I have not only created a lot of problems for myself, I've created another universe, according to many of the views of this particular theory. And the, uh, the universe in which I did not break the phone just continues normally. So that this goes back, and we, we've mentioned this several times, if you go back uh, to the old uh, time paradox, gee, what happens if I have a time machine and go back and uh, shoot my own grandfather? Uh, how could I ever be born? Well, you will have created another universe in which you, sh you shoot your grandfather, and then you're not born in that one, but the one in which you were born still continues normally. So that whole paradox gets uh, shot to pieces, so to speak. Mm. All right. So uh, that's essentially it. So it, it may very well be, Jerry, that your entire world has changed. That you're moving through a world family, as we say. We don't just live in, the, in one bubble world as it is, as physicists have sometimes used the analogy of bubbles. We are moving through them all the time. And uh, there's some thought that our own consciousness maintains the order that we are used to. In other words, you're not going to usually get up some morning and the sun is rising in the West. Okay. Uh, there does seem to be an order that we, uh, that all life seems to create, you know, in a sense of, of this order. However, there are occasional bumps and bruises, dents, intersects, uh, portals, uh, the classical term can sometimes be used where the, uh, you notice things that are different. So the keys are probably within that one. So, so the, the point being that you probably have not, uh, other things are being affected. Uh, there may be things in drawers that might be different. I mean, things you just don't see. So I think that's entirely, uh, entirely possible. So that's kind of a, I guess, a simple way to answer that. Uh, who's our next one from there? Uh, it is from Charlotte, but we also got a call from uh, Scott from Uxbridge. Okay. Uh, he could not go on the air, but he, he wanted to, to sort of give a little interjection talking about, because uh, we mentioned Mr. Rogers. Yeah, why couldn't he go on the air? Oh, I, I, uh, I, I don't it's know. He's getting too much limelight lately. <laughs> maybe, I don't okay. know. Or he's, or well, we like Scott. He's Scott just, always he's a very questions. busy man. Who knows? Yes, perhaps. But he was, he was, he, uh, he was, he brought up, he was like, oh, you know, he's, he's like, I always think of Daniel Tiger whenever I think of, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Daniel Tiger. I vaguely remember Did he airport from one part of the room to the other at any point? Perhaps. Okay. I don't know. I just remember him wearing a watch, or at least that's what he, that's, that's what, uh, uh, uh Scott said. I vaguely remember any of it. But anyway, moving on. So we have Charlotte from Perth, Australia. Uh, she writes to us, uh, I grew up in a haunted house, and we could never keep a cat or a dog, even outside. They would either run away or get sick and die. 
but we have had cows, and they do not seem to be bothered by it at all. Uh, how come some animals are affected by the paranormal and some are not? You've had experience with cows. Give us your insight, Dad. <sighs> yes, when I was um, a young lad, I think I was 13 or 14, I, um, I grew up in the Connecticut Valley uh, around uh, East Hartford, South Windsor area. And uh, I had the high-class job. Most of the kids had to work on tobacco because that's tobacco country out there. And most of them would, you know, go uh, drudge off to work in the wee hours of the morning almost. And But I, however, was friends with the farmer's kids, the Burnhams in East Hartford. And I had the high-class job of working with the cows on their dairy farm and mucking out the stalls and doing all this other stuff. And it was really... Um, uh, if I never see another cow, it'll be too soon. They would chase the darn fools in and out of the pasture, you know, and all this stuff and bring them in at night. And, and it was, um, I'm glad I didn't have to milk them. I would have had been there at four o'clock in the morning, but they had milking machines. Anyway, the point being, if you know, they, they weren't the swiftest things on four legs. However, uh, I have noticed in paranormal work that animals um, play a major role. We had a dog. Uh, you didn't know this because you were too young at the time, but he actually was uh, Wyatt, the ghost hunting dog. No, I knew it. You did? Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, I wasn't. I was like, oh, I wasn't too young. I, I had a. Yeah, you picked up more than I thought. Yeah. Never make the mistake of thinking your children aren't aren't seeing or hearing things that that you uh, that you think they don't. And I'm not talking paranormally. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, there are s certain animals who do seem to be more susceptible. Uh, two paranormal influences, there, but but it depends on the individual too. Most dogs freak when they're in areas where there is paranormal activity. Uh, however, Wyatt did not. Wyatt was an Australian Shepherd, and I didn't intend to have him involved in this, and he wasn't involved for very long because I think his nerves started to go. But he came with me. I had nothing else to do with him that day. To uh, a house in uh, Northbridge, Massachusetts. I should say Uxbridge, rather, right here in our listening area. And he was able to, uh, there were children in this case in, in, in the house, and the children were very upset, and they said, can we see the dog? So I brought him in from the car, and and uh, he played with the children, and it really helped them feel better. But but then he took off, and, and he identified certain spots in the house where activity had been taking place, and, and I was able to sort of piece together a story of a... Uh, things that had been going on there that may have um, caused echoes across the multiverse that created problems. But he saved me a couple of hours worth of work. So he came with me on a few cases, and that, and uh, but then, he, as I say, his nerves started to go. So he was different. So it depends on the individual, too. But I have found that if you have certain geotechnic energies, I should say, in the house, th th there are certain places on, on the property or are certain properties where... Energies will lit electromagnetic fields will occur naturally. Things within, and this is not, you know, it's a pseudoscience. This this is well known science. You have telluric currents, things of this kind. Will they flow through? I think in the paranormal world, these have been interpreted as ley lines and all this business, energy uh, matrices and things. But but they are based on real science to some degree. Some of it is not entirely understood. But I found that um, there have been cases where people were trying to raise puppies. Uh, say, and uh, the puppies would get sick, some of them would die. And when they were moved to a different part of the house or a different room, as it were, out of the line of fire from the geotechnic energies coming up out of the ground, they did just fine. So maybe the case here in, uh, and this is Australia? 
Yes. Yeah, Australia has really weird geology. I don't yeah, know about yeah, Perth, Perth, but I've never been there. But I've uh, never been to Perth. But uh, it's it's there's a lot of uh, sandstone, uh, particularly in the outback area, and we've had a lot, some strange reports from there. But I think that maybe um, it does depend on where on the land the particular animal is located, whether in the house or outside the house. Now the cows are out wandering around. Uh, I assume, obviously, of pasturage. And so that's probably why they are not as affected. Plus, I don't know, the fact they're not very swift in the first place, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But they would feel the physical effects of these things. This can happen to people, too. We've had cases where people oh, I have terrible nightmares. Move your bed. What? Move your bed. I say, oh, yeah, it was fine. Not every time, but very often they're affected by these energies. Same thing with cats and dogs. So uh, cats and dogs, especially if they're indoor animals, will have a limited range around uh, physically speaking, and they might be in an area where there's this sort of energy. So I think that might be an explanation uh, for you on that one, So of uh, Charlotte. So um, yeah, I think weird happens to let us know, but uh, I think that, that might be your explanation. Cool. All right, moving on. Okay, so moving on to Bruce from doesn't say where. Uh, he writes to us, I was always afraid of death until I saw my granddad die a peaceful death. Uh, I was at his bedside, and, or as you would say, he uh, translated. At, at the end, or the beginning, he opened his eyes and looked so happy, then he just closed them again. What do you think happens at that moment uh, so many people are afraid of? Well, I relate that to Bruce uh, in a sense because I have seen similar things. Uh, that can be very beautiful experience. Sometimes it's nothing, you know, people just are peacefully, you know, their eyes are closed, they're not really conscious, and they just they just translate, as we say, I don't believe in death. And uh, the, the only ones I've really seen that were bad deaths were four atheists whom I happened to be present for, the, and this is while I was a seminary student working in hospitals, um, Augsburg State Hospital in Northern New York, to be specific. And uh, this was, um, they were not pleasant. Uh, Most of them, all four of them, however, and I put put this on my Facebook page one time, and it got a lot of of interest, but it's true. Four four of them who had been atheists for many years, one, I guess, had said he was almost lifelong, uh, they became less uh, confident in that as they neared translation. As they lay on their deathbeds, they asked me about God. Every one of them did. And all I said was just be thankful for your life and you won't have to be afraid of me. Just say thank you. And a, a good friend of ours reminded me that um, Father Alexander Schmemann, a great theologian under whom I studied, I had the privilege of studying at St. Vladimir Seminary in New York, uh, was uh, a man who said all that's required for, and I'm paraphrasing, all that is required for salvation is a sense of being able to say thank you. And that's it. It really is very simple. But as far as what happens, our point of view is that we don't have just one life. We are not islands. We share lives across all these many universes we're forever talking about on this show that I think explain the paranormal interactions between these worlds. And... I think that perhaps it might be different for every person. I think perhaps it might be like waking up from a dream. Um, and the thing to bear in mind is you don't like shift, if, if we're correct, we might not be, you don't shift from one life to another. 
uh, or into heaven or hell or I guess you, you do there that you can you can explain it that way but the, the point is the key to understanding this is to realize that you're living all these lives already all past and all future all things all that can be all that ever could be all that ever was all that ever will be is all simultaneous this is good physics okay from most points of view the past and future are illusions that are uh, functions of our own consciousness as i say we um, see if this is correct we seem to uh, guide as a, as, a, as a group our whole human experience through the world families that we live in now uh, this may be wrong but i think i don't think so so i think uh, it may be just like um, being aware of one thing turning your head and you're aware of something else i think it might be just that simple but here's the thing uh, the ideas of heaven and hell are not just made up things for people. They, they may be symbolic of deeper realities, but uh, heaven as a play. And we'll talk about this because there are a lot of questions about uh, a heaven-like, at least a certain world Ben and I have described that people think is like an equivalent to heaven. really isn't, but it's awfully good. <laughs> and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think that what happens is that we we're looking at uh, <clears throat> simply... Uh, change of consciousness, a shift of consciousness to where you already are. And if you are a selfish jerk here, you are a selfish jerk probably to where you're going to be aware of, where you're shifting, because um, that's just, you know, nature's way, the path of least resistance. So, and if you are a person who realizes that it's not about you, it's about us and that you're not an island and that you are responsible not only for yourself but for others and for everything and share um, in good things that, the, that exist in the multiverse. You, you, I think, might be aware in this consciousness of um, a better place, shall we say, as the cliche goes. Ben, any thoughts on this? Well... No, I, I agree with you uh, on that one, but I really don't know. No, we don't. That's it. The, the, well, everything you know is wrong. That's the motto of our show. But when, when you look at the, the concepts of most religions, they, they capture, I think, what we've just said only in a different way, in a way that uh, is couched in their understanding of the universe. And that's fine. I mean... You know, I mean, maybe you do die. Maybe your soul goes to heaven or your soul goes to hell. But I've never seen that in all these years of working with quote unquote ghosts, which I don't believe are ghosts. I think they're people uh, in the parallel realities here. But that that's essentially what I think it is. So I think it might, the, the peace is real. Uh, I once saw, and I've mentioned this several times on the year, I, I was present at the death of an old man who was paralyzed from the neck down. This is in in the hospital and he um at the end or the beginning you want to say simply sat up which he couldn't physically do it was impossible said abba ba lay back down and just translated now abba ba is hebrew and it it essentially is daddy is coming that's how i would translate it the man was an old Irishman, his uh, first generation, his parents come from Ireland, you know, and, I, I, and he was a Catholic. He did not know Hebrew <laughs> as far as I know. 
and he could not physically do what he did. And there are all kinds of, of examples of things of this kind. And uh, particular, and I often will, will hear from healthcare professionals who have been at deathbeds and have seen these things. And again, doesn't it's, you know it happens here and there. It's not doesn't happen to everyone, but it seems to be generally a positive experience if one is a positive person. That's everything. If you're positive, you'll be healthier. You'll be um, maybe you know you'll have a better translation. People around you will will be better people for that. And uh, Ben and I always say, if you can make somebody smile once during the day, you've had a good day. You know, make life better for someone. Which gets back to our questions about all these horrors that we see. Now, one of the issues is, and, and speaking as a 35-year newsman myself, newspaper business, you um, they have 24-hour news stations all over the place, and they have to fill it with something. So they're going to keep talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. And it is news, obviously. But um, if you look at it, if you watch it too much, you can get really depressed. Yeah, I can only take so much of it. I mean, my job, one of my jobs at the Providence Journal when I was in the, uh, the editorial staff there was to monitor CNN and to see what they were leading with that particular year. This is back in the 80s. And uh, I often say, why don't we make, you know, why don't we come up with our own priorities? But uh, no, I had to do that. So um, that was, I, at least I got paid to watch it, but. It's something that you have to watch out for. There's a lot of negativity in the world, and that's going to lead into some of the other questions we're going to talk about. Um, so there, there you essentially have it, Ben. Uh, yes. So I guess we'll move on. Okay. So uh, I, there's not much else. So we got a minute to the break, but we can ask the question anyway. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, it's it's uh, no, it's a quick question. So this is from Paul from uh, Blackstone, Massachusetts, right across uh, right across the road, basically. Yeah. Uh, Paul and Ben, I saw that video of Ashwar on your Facebook page and couldn't sleep all night. I've been interested in the paranormal all my life, and I have never seen anything like that. What do you think it can be? And as you always say, what can it mean for our understanding of ghosts and aliens? <laughs> okay. Uh, that, that deserves a little background information. Uh, why don't we come back to that after our break? A little early, but... But we'll take our break anyway. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. It's your business. The health of our economy, the strength of our businesses affects every individual, every family. I'm Frank Prisnitz. Each Thursday, we'll visit with leaders to discuss important business and economic issues. Join me Thursdays at 4 p.m. on WOON. It's your business because it is. to remind you of several of the charities we've adopted we will do so at the end of the show but we point out our website behindtheparanormal.com where you'll find links to those sites many of them are veterans uh, charities in both u.s and canada and we also point out that you can see uh see or, or listen to over th- uh, 600 free recordings of our shows ben has pointed out to me something i never knew that the podcasts and recorded shows are not strictly the same thing but we call them podcasts anyway and they're all yours uh, no charge for that so let us return to our question, uh, which essentially had to do with a phenomenon that we witnessed in 2010 when we were out in Torrington, Connecticut, making a um, uh, pilot for a proposed television show that never came about because uh, a lot of strange things happened. And I don't know, somebody got to the director, I was told. 
So in any case, uh, this was a uh, farmhouse that has been written about in the book, uh, The Haunted House Diaries by William J. Hall. Uh, and Bill has written an interesting book about this case that Ben and I started working on in 2005. So we've been working on it for 10 years, and it's still growing and still ongoing. So Ashwar was the name the little boy in the house, four-year-old boy, called his invisible friend. And at one point, very cold, it was, it was uh, November of um, 2010, about five years ago, and the little boy said, well, Ashwar is out. I said, where, where is she right now? Well, she said, he's out, she's out in the tree in front of the house. So uh, we happened to have our infrared video camera, and I went out, and I just pointed the thing up into the, in the tree. It was pitch dark. And uh, all of a sudden, the, I didn't see anything with my, with the, my uh, naked eye, but when we played it back, about six seconds in, there was a very strange whitish tadpole-looking thing coming down out of the tree. And you can see this video on the Facebook page of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben, you know, not my personal page, but, or Ben's, but, my, but the show page. And it's the first video under the videos if you know how to use Facebook. And it is quite striking. We were able to find equivalent photographs of things of this kind uh, around, one of them from Gregory Herald in Florida, who got similar footage on his video cameras in the 1970s. And we hooked up with him, and we uh, have done some uh, material on that on the show. And the thing that and, you know, there are reasons why there's art and folklore having to do with the paranormal that really is um, based on something interesting. For example, you see uh, popular renditions of ghosts, especially at Halloween, as these whitish, upside-down teardrop kind of things with eyes and maybe a smile or maybe not, with pointed, almost like tails. And, I, you know, I wonder, Ben, you know, when... You see creatures, whatever this was, like like that, that looked like almost like a tadpole. You know, is that was that present in the human experience, and is that how people came up with the the uh, artistic rendition of such a thing that has come down to us uh, in, in a sort of a popular uh, venue a format today? I, I don't know. It's it's interesting that way. But what this was, per the question, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I I I, I was just gonna say. Well, I mean, I I don't know. It's it's like um it's like the the modern idea of vampires, like uh, life sucking ghosts or whatever from the Mesopotamian Empire. At least I think it was Mesopotamia. Well, that that's it goes back that far. That well, I'm, that I'm, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that there's that there's something inside of all folklore that sort of leads to some sort of truth, some way or another. Yeah, there's some some grain of truth in it somewhere, some nugget. So as far as exactly what this was, I don't know. This case morphed into something way beyond invisible friends and ghosts. It turned into there were aliens and all sorts of things that uh, were seen around the area. And there, there are photographs you wouldn't believe uh, that I've been asked not to show. And um, I'll be over there on Friday doing some more work. Uh, so I, I really don't know the answer to the question. However, we have a caller. And we welcome to the show Phil from Orange, Massachusetts. Phil, how are you, and welcome to the show. I'm fine, Paul. Nice to talk to you again. Um, I wanted to share a thought I had at the very top of your opening narrative, having to do with the, um, the evil that manifested in Paris, and obviously that also signifies the evil occurring in Syria and all of that. 
sure. and whether or not there has been perhaps an increase in the presence of evil in the last decade, let's just say hypothetically. Um, we have speculated, I think you have too in the past, about the possibility that sometimes evil acts are instigated by entities who somehow feed off negative or dark energy. I know it's a very amorphous topic, but I thought I would call just to point something out, which is um, maybe naive, you know, hoping that there are benign entities up there. But it seems to me that the visitors have vividly demonstrated that if they wanted to mess around with our launch control facilities for nuclear missiles, they can do that with ease. And it's as if they're saying, there may come a point where you may threaten to destroy the habitat that we need for our own purposes, and we're not going to let that happen. But as to the lesser stuff falling short of Armageddon, it seems like maybe those dark entities have some, are holding some sort of sway over the Earth in certain regions right now. That's my thought, and I look forward to hearing your comments. Okay, thank you, thank you Phil. Well, uh, I'm afraid that I have to agree <laughs> to some extent with Phil. Uh, this is a theme that we have been talking about. And again, when things like this occur, such as we witnessed on Friday, there uh, questions arise, people become frightened, and uh, rightly so, I think. Um, we are going to get into this in the second half of the show here because there are a lot of questions about it. Uh, perhaps we should move Do we have any more Facebook? Uh, or nope, that's it. Okay. That's, that's the last of it. All right. Um, I wanted to... Okay, here it is. Yes. Uh, this is from... Uh, uh, let's see. Rob here, I think. Yes, Rob in Chicopee, Massachusetts. Now, now Rob wrote in previously, and we answered his question on the last show, but I think it is, it is uh, uh, particularly relevant for what's happening right now. And, of course, he wrote his first question before the events of Friday, but I think they may have particular relevance to what he uh, he brings up and what, what Phil has also brought up in his call. Go ahead, Ben. Uh, we'll take that in bits. You see where I marked it. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to skip the first paragraph because that's basically him thanking us for us reading his question on the air, and then he went back and re-listened to the show uh, that we were that we did on... Um, uh, uh, June 13th, 2011, titled The Good World. Uh, moving on, though, he, he says, On your show, you state clearly that this whole notion of a nuclear exchange is your own personal opinion and not revealed knowledge. I had understood that earlier, and I would not have brought it up in my first letter. Uh, the bulk of the time you and Ben spoke about The Good World on Coast to Coast on your own show, I, uh, and on your own show, however, it was about a coming... a evacuation of quote high people unquote uh to this other other world uh you talked about how parasites and or feeders or whatever uh when done with this world would somehow destroy it or devastate that world then move on uh but but that is but that this time there's going to be a fight and that our neighbors from other worlds who are also victims of these feeders underst uh, understand what is happening and will come to our aid you said it is our job to get people out. You were very adamant and sincere about this concept on both shows. Uh, when I wrote my letter last week, I thought the phrase the good world would imply all of this. Uh, since you did not address this, it's my fault for not being more clear about my question. My question remains, do you still subscribe to this good world thesis? Okay. Uh, all, all that um, Rob writes there is essentially correct about what we said. 
Okay. Um, we are reluctant to talk about it for obvious reasons. Uh, my reputation and, and Ben's is a very, I hope, feet on the ground. We don't want to say things that make us sound like lunatics. There are plenty of them out there. All right. Uh, I tend to be very, very academic in my approach. Ben has another approach, but still, I think we work well together as feet on the ground investigators, uh, skeptics in many ways. But in 2011, we could not hold back really any longer on many of the impressions that we were believed we were receiving in our work in the paranormal, which we believe paranormal work involves working with various worlds, uh, witnessing things that are happening because worlds are intersecting, meeting things that people think are ghosts, but are actually neighbors, for lack of a better term, from other worlds, many of whom were very much afraid of us because they thought we were ghosts because they saw us across the uh, electrified membranes of these worlds as shadows or spirits or things that we think we see when we're seeing ghosts. You know, and if you get the picture here, again, uh, we have a very limited understanding and, and paradigm, and we see these things as, as folklore says they are, you know, dead people and all this, whereas we don't find that's true at all. Among the people out there uh, and other life forms who are neutral or not, you know, don't care or are, are good or bad are the bad ones whom we refer to as parasites. This is what folklore interprets because they're very present in the human experience. Folklore interprets them as demons, servants of the devil, evil spirits, things of this kind, because that's what else could they be in, in our limited understanding? But in reality... They are neighbors too. Uh, however, they're, um, and, and how you define evil in that case is rather relative for once because they're, they seem to be life forms that feed upon other life forms. And, and that, that is, it's part of nature that is very present in nature. Uh, there are mimics, things to pretend to be other things, such as insects and everything, because either to avoid being preyed upon or to prey on others. And uh, the same is true with many of these negative uh, entities. Uh, and the difference between them and insects is that I've been coming up against them for 45 years. They are very intelligent. They learn very quickly. And uh, they seem to be able to move uh, relatively freely between a number of worlds, okay, of these parallel worlds we've been talking about. And this sounds like nutty stuff, but this is as real as it gets, I assure you. So the question has always been for me, they Ben and I see what they do in families. They see what they uh, we see what they do to individuals, kind of pushing buttons to uh, much like I don't know. Once this is a kind of a crazy example, but uh, you remember that uh, York Beach, Maine, Ben? We uh, when you were a kid, uh, Mom and I used to take you to that the little uh, zoo that was there, and I, I grew up there practically myself because it was a place we always went. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, there was a, there was a, a chicken. I think this is before your time, but. You'd put a, a, a quarter or something in the machine, and the chicken would come out and dance. And, of course, you'd get a reward. You'd peck the thing at a certain button. Well, if a chicken can push buttons, imagine what parasites can do as far as pushing our psychological buttons. Uh, as I began to study history and uh, the, the history of the paranormal, questions would arise about what were these gods who demanded human sacrifice you know, for example, that you'd see in various cultures. Even highly developed civilizations such as the Mayans practiced this. What were they worshiping? What was it that they thought they had to do to placate uh, these, these whatever they were? 
And many people think the ancient aliens uh, were responsible for gods, if there were ancient aliens and all this business. But the parasites kept coming to my mind as possibilities to explain many of these things. So we have parasites not influencing only individuals and families, but whole communities, tribes, perhaps whole nations. Do they push buttons among our leaders? Look at some of the things people do. I don't think we're basically the savage killers that many, many people sometimes, hopefully not too many people turn out to be. I think we are basically decent people. Of course, when people get hungry and desperate, the veneer of civilization could disappear, but that's another story. So that's kind of a long introduction to the idea that uh, it, it appears to me from working in the paranormal that there are times when the parasitical entities get so strong and have used up what they believe, they've done all they can do with a certain world, I don't mean planets necessarily, but parallel reality where they're feeding. <clears throat> and they, I think at times can come in and um, essentially, uh, maybe not create, but, but instigate destruction on a scale that may be inconceivable for the residents of that particular world. All right. And again, this is really scary stuff. It, it, it makes what happened on Friday very innocent in comparison with the concepts here. Uh, one of the things Phil brought up about um, visitors uh, happens to be true, at least according to military officers who have testified about it and others and researchers on the UFO phenomenon, uh, particularly Rendlesham Forest, one of the areas Ben and I are researching and I visited in England, that craft have been known to come over, craft of unknown origin, and uh, literally shine beams of light or something else down onto weapons bunkers at military bases, nuclear weapons in some cases, and either disable them or change the targeting package, which I find extremely chilling. I mean, change it to what? And I've never gotten an answer from that. Of course, there are classified information involved. I, I had a clearance myself in the military, but not at a very high level, but I know what secret means. And so it was... Um, <clears throat> A very all these things kind of come together to make us kind of wonder about what's happening. I think that our world right now is facing such a possible um, scenario, and the difference here is uh, not is is one of degree because we've always had savages in the world. We've always had death and destruction. We've always had uh, things that are terrible happening. However, we have not in previous ages had the bomb, although maybe we did, but I mean, we, we don't know about it because of maybe the, because of the results. I mean, there are, there are a million years of human history that's totally unknown. There could have been a thousand civilizations like ours that rose and fell. And there's, there's evidence, uh, and I was, when I was researching my book, Turning Home, there was evidence from friends of mine in the archaeology world uh, that there were <clears throat> areas, and this is very upsetting to talk about, areas uh, such as Mohenjo-Daro in Pakistan, uh, ruin today, but a great city um, in previous millennia. And there is sand, desert sand that has been heat fused into greenish glass. There is a circle of destruction around the center of the city. Buildings literally melted. And the skeletons found there were highly radioactive. This is an unmistakable sign of a nuclear explosion. And we're talking thousands of years ago. So this technology, once it comes back, is like the genie let out of the bottle. 
I think that is the key to the fear that we feel today. Anybody can get the bomb uh, who really wants it, any of these crazy groups, any, any crazy little country. And uh, I remember something, and I believe it was Vladimir Putin of all people, it may have been someone else, but someone in the Soviet, the old Soviet regime, <clears throat> as it was ending, said, you know, the whole world is going to regret the demise of the Soviet Union. And we said, what is he talking about? We can't wait to see it go. And there was a certain atmosphere in, in which I grew up. It was an atmosphere of fear, never knowing if the Soviets are going to attack. But you had the two great nations, the Soviet Union and the United States, who kind of kept things in line. You didn't see this sort of rampant terrorism that you see today. You didn't see the chaos because in a funny way, they both had the sense to know that they, they couldn't use nuclear weapons because it would just be the whole world would be destroyed. And they kept their countries in line. We kept our countries in line. There kind of was a certain order. Now, you can argue with me that maybe that wasn't good. Maybe it probably wasn't. But I mean, there was a certain order. Now anything goes. And that is the basis of my particular fear, putting all these things together, uh, the parasite thing, uh, and they're not necessarily related in my experience, but it just, it just, it just it connects the dots to a very bad scenario. And to get, that's a long introduction to this good world thing. In 2011, we went on coast to coast and we even surprised George Nouri, which is kind of hard to do <laughs> because he said, I've never heard you this far out before. And we were talking about this scenario and a possible evacuation, for lack of a better term, of the high people as opposed to the low people from this world to one. And, and we're not talking about dying here. I don't understand this myself. This is just, these are impressions. And uh, I will say one or two conversations, and I hate to bring this up because it sounds like I'm doing the medium thing, and I'm not, with neighbors because uh, that is occasionally possible. Now, it, it could, I could have misinterpreted. Sometimes the language was not English, and it was difficult to perhaps understand. But the basic scenario is, as we see it, that sometime before the end of next year, maybe uh, the uh, balloon is going to go up. There, the uh, you-know-what is going to hit the fan, and there, there may be some sort of uh, real if issues with, uh, I think, perhaps nukes. I don't know. Hope not. Uh, but that um, there is a certain group of people who, ha who will have to be somehow, somehow evacuated. I have nothing to do with this. Evacuated, for lack of a better term, to a parallel world where this is not happening and so that the, the, species can't, the human species can survive, at least in the way that it should. I don't know. That's the impression. It's probably crazy. But that's essentially what we were talking about because we felt that we should. Now, people are writing in. A lot of people are writing in about this. We heard that broadcast. It's almost 2016. How come we're still here? Well, it's not 2016 yet. Uh, these things are cast as nobody would be happier if to, to be wrong about this uh, more than I would. Or me. Or Ben. And uh, it's, I'm very nervous talking about it because I'm sure I sound a lot like a nut. But when we had that broadcast... Over 3,000 people wrote in, I mentioned this last week, over 3,000 people wrote in uh, saying that they agreed. Two of those said they disagreed and were, were kind of nasty about it. Two of those were negative. One later apologized. Out of all those, people said that, th that they, they were having experiences that I also had had in this realm, either in dreams or meditation or whatever, and I had never said anything about places, 
individuals they had seen. And there's no way they could have known this. Now, naturally, people write into a show like this. And maybe they could be nutballs. I don't know. But, but not everybody can be crazy. And um, th that's essentially it. But uh, as far as the details of any kind of evacuation, I don't know. But the term high people and low people, th those are essentially terms that I got from a five-year-old boy in 1991. I was working with him the year before Ben was born in, New in the New London, Connecticut area. He was dying of leukemia, and he was the most beautiful person I think I've ever met. As if you've ever worked with children who were terminally ill, they all of a sudden become other-centered, at least all the ones I've seen. They're not the little ego machines we often associate with children, especially around Christmas time, right? This child was incredible. And his parents called me in, not because they were spooked by what was happening, but because they thought it was so beautiful. And it was. He was having conversations with his grandfather, who had died 10 years before he was born, translated 10 years before he was born. And he was talking about the high people and the low people, or he called the high men and the low men. And he said, there are two different, in so many words, there are two different species of human beings in this world anyway. Some are people who are decent, who are basically good. Others are basically bad. And I don't know if I agree entirely with that, but I, I took what this boy said seriously. And he said, maybe this is just in the back of my mind, but he said at some point, and he didn't say when, they're going to have to separate. And the, the good people, the, the, the high people are going to have to go to somewhere else, all right? Now, I didn't quite understand at the time, but... And the good world is apparently a world family, a family of similar worlds that interact, uh, that we began experiencing, gosh, it's got to be six, seven years ago now, or more. Yeah, about that. And um, Ben experienced it in different ways. Uh, I started with dreams, and then I would have waking experiences of this. I think maybe I'm schizo, I don't know. But I mean, when all these people write in who are having the same experiences... And telling you things you've experienced, but you never said, you never told anybody about, that kind of makes you wonder. Uh, it is not heaven, I don't think, in any classical sense. I mean, people work. There are modes of transportation. But it seems, the, the thing that gets me about it, I call it the good world, because it seems to be the place we're supposed to be as a species. I often wonder if we are indigenous to this planet. And I'm not the only one, a lot of people, but, you know, it's kind of a crazy thing to think about. We're here, we make the best of it, but... The good world seems to be a place where the laws of physics are rather different. Uh, the There are a lot of strains. I talked about it last week. You can listen to the podcast. But that's as, I hope that ties up the, the, the loose ends in many of the questions that have been asked this evening. And uh, we used Rob's as an example because many people ask the same question. Well, there's, there's much more to his question. but There is. Um, we have... Uh, well, we have like six minutes, maybe a little less than that. Yeah, but we, we have can to... we can we can delve a little bit more. Or let's can... let's go a little further. If not, we'll save the rest uh, till the next uh, open line show. But okie doke. Uh, so he writes, or uh, well, he continues. There are reasons why I'm following up with you and not writing you off like so many other people I have heard over the years. It's like first, I like your multi your multi worlds concept, as I stated earlier. Second, I listened or I listened to several non-paranormal podcasts that deal with economics and geopolitics, uh, and while not getting into the details, the idea of a coming third world war is a very real possibility any time between now and the next five years or so. In fact, I believe that the risk of a large war is uh, as great now as it, as it was at any time during the Cold War. 
Uh, and he continues to say, and third is a dream I had a couple of years ago. I, I'm, maybe I heard your Coast to Coast show in 2011 and forgot about it, and it influenced me. I can't be sure. But I had a very bizarre dream in which my wife and I were standing in a line waiting to be taken away off planet. The understanding I had in the dream was that this was the end of the world, and there was a structure ahead of us, and I do not think it was a craft, and my feeling was that it was some sort of transporter or a portal or something inside. Uh, uh, to our left were military personnel and hardware who were there to protect us uh, from what I did not know. Uh, suddenly, to our right, I felt more than, uh, than saw the arrival of several dark entities, and they reminded me of the creatures uh, from the Alien movies. Uh, this is where it gets a little silly. Over the years, I have sometimes thought about uh, creating an image in my mind to represent power and strength and light as a means to combat demons or any negative beings. Uh, the idea that com that keeps coming is the Hulk, uh, the, the same Hulk from the comics and the movies. Uh, in my in my dreams, as soon as the dark entities or parasites appeared, so did the Hulk immediately attack them. It was unclear whether I transformed into the Hulk or it was just uh, it was just that he appeared. At any rate, I I woke up. Uh, we never met. I don't know you. Whether you're honest and sincere about uh, what you say on the air or if you are a charlatan. Uh, regardless, I hope you are wrong, but <laughs> but for the above reasons, I hesitate to ignore what you're saying and ask again, do you still subscribe to the Good World Thesis? Well, the answer is yes, Rob, and thank you. I hope I'm not a charlatan. I, I shake as I say this because uh, I don't like to talk about it, but I don't think there's a choice right. at this point. But I think back at all the nuts who said the world was going to end and all the stuff that was going on, and I just, you know, hopefully that's not us. Anyway, yes. more later. Time's up. We're going to do our announcements. Indeed. So find out more about the show, our public appearances, and more at BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, which we recently learned uh, is rated one of the top websites in the world for visits and use. Uh, there are also 650 free podcasts and past shows uh, from both ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Okay, this Saturday, the 21st of November, ben, ben and I will join author and researcher William J. Hall, who wrote that book we mentioned before on the Litchfield flap, uh, for a presentation on what's really behind the paranormal. And uh, that'll be from uh, 1.30 to 5 p.m. at the Center for Consciousness, the KRI Center for Consciousness Studies in Stratham, New Hampshire. Uh, tickets are only $10 and available at the door. You get two presentations for that, and you get to hobnob with us, I guess, if that's worth 10 bucks. And uh, visit BehindTheParanormal.com for a link to the information. And you can find my books on Amazon.com, uh, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble, uh, etc. And if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I'll sign them for you and you'll help us keep all those podcasts free. Uh, the charities you mentioned before include uh, USACares.org, BuildersHelpingHeroes.org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles. Check them out. Doing great stuff. And all those links are at BehindTheParanormal.com. And oh yes, yes. Don't don't forget about those uh, two recent oh, books yes, from course. Global Communications. That's uh, Timothy Green Beckley's publishing company. He's a very interesting individual, and uh, these books are also of interest to our listeners. One is the uh, Bell Witch Project, which contains uh, that story as well as a few contributions by uh, my dad on historic paranormal cases here in New England, including the 17th century Specter Leaguers of Massachusetts and the 18th and 19th uh, century vampire hysteria in Rhode Island and Connecticut, and of special interest to folks here 
uh, in the ON1240 listening area is another Beckley book uh, called UFO Repeaters with an entire chapter on our old friend Joe Ferrier, talk show host here on ON for almost 50 years. And uh, he is always remembered in our minds. Oh, uh, that's right. And our hearts as well. And uh, both books are available at Amazon.com. Okay. Um, also, there, you don't know this yet, but there is a third book. There is? A, another book coming out with, with my name on it. Uh, oh, did he ask you? I can, <laughs> yes, yes. He, no, he, he contributed. I'm contrib- I contributed some thoughts to it. And I'll tell you more about that next week. But uh, that's coming out soon. All right, cool. Okay. So next Monday, uh, November 23rd, we'll welcome another author and experiencer, Deborah Moffitt, uh, who is looking for her, her Toffet. That's that was a joke. <laughs> yeah, Little Miss Moppet. Except well, leave Moffitt, the jokes to me. Whatever. <clears throat> for a look at the Moffat family haunting of nineteen eighty seven to nineteen ninety two. I don't know if we have time for our quote at this point. We do not. So we will oh, save too bad, it's the one from uh, Mr. Rogers. However, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.